if you're the founder of the business or the person responsible for the product development of the service that you're delivering, it's up to you to go with your gut and make the decision on what do I think is best for everyone? Because as things scale, if you're in the practice of thinking 10x, you've got to really, really understand how might this work if we had 10 times the amount of people? Delivering services at scale is always going to be a challenge because you have the human elements and it's a very relationship heavy exercise, but then also deciding, well, what is my business going to look like? I can't be everything to everyone. How can I be 100% valuable to like 90% of people? And that's the hope. Because the reason a client cancels on a subscription in particular, whether you're a coaching business, whether you're a service like Pete and I are, is because they run out of future. They no longer see future with you. They're not going, I've got nothing to do tomorrow. They just no longer see you and them in the future together. Hello there, listener. This is Pete Moriarty, and I'm joined by my amazing co-host, Mr. Carl Taylor. So great to see your face, brother. We are talking today about increasing customer engagement in your subscription service business or any subscription business this can be linked to. Now, we pre-recorded this conversation. It was a natural conversation where we just went ahead and hit record. And so we are going to, in a couple of moments, let you jump right in. Carl, any reflections on this content after we've now recorded it? I love this episode because yes, like our more recent episode, we just kind of flowed into it and we hit record. And then obviously as we got going, we're like, hey, well, this is turning into an episode. So we got a bit more like sharing uh, various things and we talked a lot. So I just want to share that if you're thinking about like, what's some good lead generation things, right at the end of the episode, we get into some juicy lead generation stuff. But the bulk of the episode is far more talking about engagement of the service. And we go on various tangents that are all linked to it. But if you have a subscription business, you're going, how do I get people to stay longer? And you've been frustrated with that. This is going to be a great episode. If you're more in like, I don't need my clients to stay. I need clients. How do I get them? Then you may want to skip more towards the end and definitely listen to the last, I don't know if it was the last 10 minutes or so. And we talked a little bit about some lead gen strategies. There's a lot of gold there. So don't miss those. I think, Carl, you've experienced this challenge in your business. And that is that when you've got a service business and you've got someone on recurring you know, revenue or payments to you, and then they don't use the service. And you know, that can get really tough because like, you want to like, shake the customer and be like, oh, please use me more. And you know, we're talking about this with our, our podcast producer, Leon, hitting us up about recording more episodes. And Carl, I think you've had that experience in your business where... Uh, People were engaging you for a service and your words were, I think that you were chasing people for content. And I've got my own challenges with our customers engaging with our concierge product. So yeah, I'm curious to explore what that was like for you. Yeah, well, I think, yeah, we should give a little bit more context. So for the last few weeks, Leon, our amazing production coordinator, producer, whatever label he would like, he's incredible. And he and his team are global CEO of podcast production. Yeah, he just, he's the one that makes, takes our random recordings and makes them sound really good so that you like listening to us. We at least hope you do. And he's been chasing us, not just recently, for a long time, to be honest. He chases us going, hey, you guys recording this week? Hey, you guys recording this week? And we were really good in the beginning. And then, you know, life and various things just happened. And so what started this conversation is going like, yeah, we, he probably is sitting around going like, but they're paying me money. 
and I feel guilty that they're paying me money and I'm not doing any work because they haven't sent me any stuff to record. That's what started the conversation. And I have experienced this on both sides. Obviously, we right now are, you know, we pay, I pay many service providers. Leon and his team is one. I have other content people in Automation Agency. We have another company who helps write all our content and do different things. I've got someone who helps with posting on my social media and they're often chasing me going, hey, can you do these things? And again, I'm paying them. Whether they're doing the work or not, if I haven't provided them the content, I'm still paying them. And I'm sure on their side, they're going, there's a fear of if I don't do anything, they'll cancel. And the reality is I had one content guy. I paid him for a whole year producing all this amazing content from me from old content I'd created but I'd never posted on social media because I didn't have the post social posting person. So I'd been paying him for a whole year. He created all this stuff. And then I started to go, yeah, maybe I should cancel because I'm not actually doing anything with the content that I'm paying this guy to produce. Luckily I changed my tact and went, let's get the social media person who can help make sure that content's going out rather than just cancel. But not everyone's like that in my business there is a fear that does come up. If a client hasn't, we have stats, we have enough stats that show that if a client doesn't use us for a period of time, this is not true of every client. There are plenty who are like me who will let six months go by and not care that they, and see, still see value. But if a client hasn't actively sent tasks to my service within even for some, it's even only just one month, but for most, it's really around once you get to two to three months, that's when people start to go, wait, why am I paying money for this thing I'm not using? That's their perception. And so we will get very like, if they're not engaging, they're forgetting about us and they will cancel. And it's true. If you're a recurring service and people aren't engaging with your software, your service, there is a higher chance that they're going to go, why am I paying this money? I'm going to at least question it. And they'll either come back and use you or they'll just cancel. So that's been our experience. I don't have the answer We've because it's not cut and dry. You can reach out to clients and remind them, but you don't know what's going on in their world. And it can actually add more stress in their life sometimes when it's like they're chasing me, they're chasing. So we've had the flip side where we've chased someone so much because we're like, hey, your project's still not completed. Hey, and then they'll get to a point of going, this is all too hard. Can you cancel and refund my money, right? Like, <laughs> And now, you know, there's terms and there's various things that sometimes that's not really doable. So it's an interesting balance and I don't have an answer to it. I don't have an answer. Pete, what's been your experience of this, both as a client and as a supplier? There's, yeah, there's so much here that's interesting. I think fundamentally, if if someone's paying someone for something and nothing's being delivered, there's an unfair exchange in that, you know, there is no, the value exchange is not two ways. Now, there may be customers of yours who sign up and then don't send a ticket in for six months, but the exchange they may be getting is peace of mind that you're there when they do need you, right? Great. Um, so that's still a form of exchange. But the moment when a customer is not actually feeling like they're getting exchange, that's when you then run into issues. I've had some pretty interesting learnings and I'm, I, you know, I'm interested to know what kind of strategies that you've used to have customer engagement increased in your subscription service business. For us, one of the things that we worked out was that if a customer stayed with us for 12 months, they'd probably get in the habit of making use of us. And we've got a pretty challenging battle in that we need to be more convenient than Googling something. And we need to be more convenient than a customer going to Google support, which is free or more valuable, sorry, than going to Google support, which is free because we're just as convenient, if not hopefully more convenient. And so the interesting thing that we learned when we really looked into the data of what customers were sticking around or not, is we found that customers who stayed around for 12 months were more likely to get into the habit 
of relying on us. When they add a new user to their Google Workspace account, our team would be on hand to do that super quickly. When they needed a question answered about Google Drive, our team would jump straight onto that really quickly. And that kind of, or when they hired a new staff member, we would train that staff member on how to use all the features inside our Google Classroom. And so what those things all did was they created our service as a part of the internal processes of our customers' businesses. And once we worked that out, we started trying to not you know, make a customer sticky by making it hard for them to leave, which is like the old school IT way of doing things, but more, how can we be so valuable? We become a, an intrinsic part of your business. And obviously the upside for us is that the customer stays with us because they're getting value over a longer period of time. And I, I think that. that's, that's the biggest uphill battle in a subscription business, particularly subscription service business, is diminishing value over time. How can you ensure that you are valuable over a long period of time? Because there's a customer's perception that it is diminishing or depreciating. You know, when you go to a Mercedes dealership and you drive out with it and it's brand new day one, it's all exciting and awesome. But then three years go by, your kids have dropped a milkshake on the back seat. You know, it's needed a few services. The tires are worn down, the shocks are down, they need to be replaced. And so, you know, things will diminish over time. It's kind of like an, a law of nature in a way. Yeah. And so, you know, we work really, really hard on how we can be valuable over time, not just at the point of buying for a customer. Because as the great Brad Sugar says, it's way easier to sell to someone who's already a customer of yours than to go out and find a new customer. It's just a multitude of times harder to go out and find new customers. So if you can sell more to your existing customers or keep your existing customers longer, therefore increasing their wallet spend, then that's profitable. the way to go. Totally. Dude, there are so many things. I've been like looking around to try and grab a pen. And the the challenge there is like, there's so like, I'm like, I want to write down some things to talk about because you raise a couple of things. I think it's really important. One of the key things that you need to know and is- my phone's ringing. <laughs> maybe it's the same person calling us. You've got pain of disconnect, right? Which is the old school way. And I've done the same thing. We launched hosting- as a service, we added hosting for our clients from, sadly, it's now not how we think about it, but sadly, we kind of added it as a goal of trying to increase the pain of disconnect. If we host a client site, it makes it more harder for them to leave. That was part of why we decided to do it. That was our thinking. Well, I should, I say our thing. That was my thinking. That's the reality of it. Whereas we then have also made that same shift of going, well, no, it's not about making it harder for them to leave. I mean, there can be some value in sometimes doing that. Like, so there is, it's not easy to leave, but it's not hard. But the, the real thing that was going, how do we be more ingrained? How do we ensure they're getting the value? And they're the two different thinkings. It's like, I've got the client. How do I hold on to them? Mm. Or how do I make it so we're so indispensable? We're so valued that they wouldn't want to leave. And that can still, sometimes the flow on effect of that is it creates the pain of disconnect because you're so valued. If I leave, then we've lost this thing. And it's about so many things. As you mentioned, there's a habit. I remember probably two, maybe three years ago, I read the book Hooked. This is written by a guy who basically talks about why we're so addicted to all the apps on our phones and all these software things. And it's, it's literally written for how do you make your software more sticky? And I read that book and I instantly had all these ideas of things I wanted to do in our service to make us more, more sticky and more addictive. And I ultimately didn't go, I think we maybe have taken a few ideas from it and ultimately put in, but we didn't go down as far as some of my original ideas of like, cause I started going, hold on, I don't know if I like this, but I, 
I don't want to make it addictive in a way that's painful, but it, we do want to help them form a habit that's getting them the value that's making life easier. And so some of the features we ended up rolling out was what we call our recurring task feature. Back then we didn't have recurring tasks. We were like, okay, we want to make it easier for clients to use us for things that they on a recurring basis, stuff that they can just have happen in the background without asking us. And then if there's something they do need to ask us on an ongoing basis that they can just simply click to request and make a few changes. They don't have to type out the whole thing again. Like it's just, it's saved tasks. So can then schedule these saved tasks. So we did that and that's been really useful. We built our Zapier integration so people can build us into their workflows. You know, if someone, for example, we have one client, they've got like a form on their website where a client submits a testimonial and then they have a Zap that puts that into like, I think Slack or wherever that sends them an email with the customer's testimonial for their records. And then it sends the task to our team to go and put the, put the testimonial on their website. There's then that's a web task. Then there's a design task sent in to turn it into a social media graphic. So that one thing is formed. And then because the clients filled it in, it's already been delegated to our team to create the assets that they need to, to take care of it. So these are now making us part of the client's workflow so that they're like, oh, this is amazing. If I stop working with automation agency, now that whole form means someone else has to manually do those things. So we started to think about it in those same ways. We're not perfect at it. We still have plenty of clients who lose value. And I think that's another really important thing to talk about. So you got the two perceptions of, are we building value or are we trying to create pain of disconnect? I've done both. I prefer the value one. And I'm finding that as you build value, pain of disconnect often will increase anyway, if you're doing it well. Mm. But a really important thing that I heard you say, Pete, was perception. And just mm. today, I literally just today was having this conversation because we had a client who's been with us for over two years. And they sent in an email saying that they basically, that how frustrated they were in recent months. And these are these problems. And I was saying to, I don't remember which team member it was now, but I was basically saying like, this is their perception. You know, this is their, how they're feeling is valid and true. And I don't know about you, Pete, but we've realized in recent months that our company culture has gotten to a point, sadly, that too many on the team want to fight facts rather than mm. connect with the feeling. Mm. And I literally just the other day was like, we need to do a training on feelings first, facts come later. Just the same as it does in a relationship. You're having an argument with your partner or family member, or it doesn't matter who. You're having an argument with someone. Does it help you to argue back with facts of, no, what you're saying is wrong? Or does it work better if you connect and go, ah, oh, that sounds horrible. That sounds awful. That must seem so lonely or painful. You connect with the feeling, you diffuse the emotion, and then only if it's worthwhile, only if it adds value to the conversation, you go, there's a couple of things that my experience was different. Or here's a couple of things. So here's some facts that I might need to clarify for you. And sadly, my team is too many on the team have been fighting facts with like the client's unhappy, but they're wrong. It's like, well, it doesn't matter whether they're right or wrong. They feel this way. Their perception is that the service is not valuable. Their perception is that your attention to detail is not there. Their perception is that you don't know what you're doing. It's not saying you don't know what you're doing. Their perception is that way. And we need to connect with the perception first, connect with the feeling. And we can't control other people's perceptions. That's the biggest challenge. How do you, if ultimately someone choosing to work with us is their perception of us mm. and we can influence, but we have no control over how someone perceives us. It makes it very challenging to have a set 
system to get them to actually always be happy. And I've had to learn to go, you know what? Not every client's going to be happy. But when you start to see trends, like in my business at the moment, we're seeing some really big trends of, in particular, one of my teams, the automation team, which is challenging since we're, our company is called Automation Agency. There's some trends where the number of clients are feeling like the team aren't getting attention to detail right, which in automation can be very challenging. So we're working hard on fixing that. We're also working hard on fixing our culture of fact-fighting because that does it's just egos fighting each other. That's all it is. It's just egos. Hey, client, you're wrong. Hey, Mr. and Mrs. Client, you're in, what you're saying is wrong. That doesn't help, but that just pisses them off more, especially when you're a service like us that is all through text email and you're not on a phone call or anything. And so it's just like, yeah, it's not good. So these are some of the things to be aware of when you're building a service business and you're thinking about how do we keep people happy and ongoing and using us? Don't fight facts, connect with the feeling. <laughs> so perceptions. Like- all business is about people, right? You know, it's all about relationships and it's all about people, whether that's with your customers or with your team. And one thing I realized recently is in my endeavor to build a more successful business, build more successful teams, get better results across the board, grow the leaders that are in the business. The only thing, or not the only thing, but but perhaps my best placed effort is to develop the people in the business as humans. Mm rather than develop their logical and execution skills. And what I mean by that is develop their emotional side as humans. Now, I have other people who can help on the more practical side of things, but what I have been putting my effort and my energy into is actually taking them through the process of the work. And you know that's had some pretty interesting results of actually leading my team through starting to let go of some of their judgments, some of their stories that might be holding them back, you know, some of their limiting beliefs. And we've had some, uh, you know, some pretty big shifts for our team, which has been really cool. And I just, I can't say that enough, Carl, that I can't agree with you enough that when people are fighting over this happened and that happened, really beneath all of that is like, is what people were feeling in the moment. And it's only when we can actually be vulnerable with each other and say, hey, this is how I was feeling in that moment or this is what was going on for me emotionally in this moment that we can actually build the intimacy and build the connection to move forward and better work together because intimacy is built through vulnerability and you can go back to the tribal days of you had to be vulnerable to feel safe in the herd and you know, there's a part of us that feels unsafe if we're too vulnerable because you might get kicked out of the herd but the reality was that you know tribes were enmeshed and were close to each other because they needed that to know that each other would protect you if you're sleeping in the middle of the night and someone else is you know taking watch for the beasts out there or another tribe that might attack you you've got to know that you can actually trust that person and so it's only Yeah, it's only when we share that vulnerability with someone that you can build that trust because it's like oh they've got something on me now yeah, I it's a secret. It's a, it's a subconscious. I, we've got something between us. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, intrinsically, that's how you build friendships. It's how you build, you know, intimate relationships. All of that is built on sharing vulnerability. And so, you know, we've really tried to cultivate that inside our business. Now, we acquired a majority stake in another business late last year. And that business has a number of staff based in Australia. 
team of six or seven people and we've been integrating different cultures. Now we're not putting the two businesses together just yet, but we're starting to collaborate and do some things together. And it's really interesting to step into a new business, knowing how I like to run my business, knowing the level of transparency and honesty and you know emotional vulnerability that we just naturally share with our team who are well gelled, that I now walk into a room where I'm the new guy, yet I'm in a position of authority and people are afraid of me because in mergers and acquisitions and this kind of corporate activity, they've seen people lose their jobs. They've seen people be, you know, had new managers thrust at them and we're changing structures and we're changing things. And so, you know, people are, are concerned about how that experience might be, you know, in that, in that event and in how that's unfolded with that business, my aim has been, how can I emotionally connect with this team? Mm. How can I lead with vulnerability? How can I share and, you know, to bring it back around to our discussion of increasing customer engagement, when you can operate that way internally as a team, that radiates out to how your team interacts with customers. Well, I wanted to ask it you that. through the whole culture of the business. That's just, it becomes the way that you do things. And that's better for everyone, in my opinion. Do you, this is an interesting question. It's what I wanted to raise. I was, I was curious about this. Do you find that by that creating that culture of vulnerability and open sharing, are the team doing that with clients? Like when there's a mistake happening, are they saying I'm feel oh there's a conflict with a client? Are they how do you are you keeping a professional veil or are you just having these humans be like, hey, I was feeling this way in a in a conversation with a client and I took it this way? Like what 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 is your experience? Look, I think our staff will always default to professional delivery of customer service. Mm. And that has an air of professionalism in the language used also considering our customers are mostly small business owners and they're pretty busy may not necessarily have the time for a touchy feely conversation to acknowledge things though what it does build for our team is empathy mm. empathy for the customer's experience so and being a service business we deliver 10 times better because it's not just oh i, sh I sent the email it's what was the tone of that email how might the customer have received that email? Oh, that customer's already had a problem this week and their project's a bit behind. I should try and, and act in a certain way or communicate in a certain way that might be more meaningful for the customer or you know appeasing to the customer. And so I think that overall emotional awareness, and it starts with yourself, right? Bef before you can play it out with your colleagues and, and with your customers, that emotional awareness of self, I think really, really helps the overall delivery. And I can see that evidenced in the data, which is that the number of customer escalations, the number of projects that are running behind, the number of customers complaining about service, the increased number of five-star reviews that we get on our Google page, all of those things are data-based indicators that tell me that we are delivering better. And so I, I like that. to think that's in part a contributor to that. I love that. And kind of coming back to the, the engagement piece that we, we, you know, we were talking about a bit earlier, you know, the, as you say, like in every interaction, if the customer service people and the technical people and the sales people and the management team truly have empathy for a client, it's going to ensure that those interactions feel great. Mm -hmm. And then it's the same thing of if you, if, as the management team, when you're looking at your product, this is a shift that we went through at Automation. It's in the early days, right? We're a flat monthly fee service. In the early days, the analogy that we used to think about, this is years ago, was we're like a gym. 
people pay for a gym, but not everyone comes to the gym. And that's just how it is. And that's how we make our money. The less people using us are actually our more profitable clients than the ones who are using us. And so that was great at the certain price point we're at and the certain size we're at. But along the way, we had to shift our thinking and go, well, hold on. No, our success and the value we provide are the people who are using us. It is in our interest to get clients to actually use us. It's not about, sure, we make more money from the people who aren't using us than those who are. Well, there's something flawed in our model if that's our approach. That's not the kind of business we want to be in. We want to actually be delivering value. And yes, value is perception. So peace of mind is a form of value. But we found that it was like, no, we, the more we can entrain ourselves. And that's, again, what helped lead to recurring tasks. It led to creating what we call the popular task wizards. That, and now we've more recently built out a whole menu of popular task wizards that people can pick from and even more things they can use us for. We've tried different things over the years of sending emails to people who haven't contacted us in a while. But the challenge has been that not everyone is, again, like we said earlier, you don't know where someone's up to. You don't know what's going on in their world. And sometimes those automated reach outs or those even personal humanized reach outs at the wrong, at, at a time that's really busy for them can end up, I'm not going to call it the wrong time, can end up leading to a business outcome that you may not have wanted, can lead to a cancellation, can lead to a, a complaint. And it's finding that balance of value add coming from service. And I think it just comes back to, am I doing this to be of service or am I doing this to try and hold back? But doing that at scale, I don't know what you've found, Pete, but for me, you know, this number of clients we have now, I'm far more noticing when you're a smaller team, you kind of didn't notice as much. Whereas now, number of clients we have, what we do to roll out standardized across all stock standard, it means there's more people that the stock standard approach doesn't quite gel with. And there's more like, I don't like this. And they want to personalize it. And they don't like, I don't want to receive these emails. I want these emails. Uh, why don't you give me more stuff? Why don't you leave me alone? It's like, oh, how, where do we, where do we sit to make it possible? Or do we have to make it so customizable that a client can say, I want them. I don't want them. So yes, challenges of growing. It's, it's interesting. Business. Like the balance of, as a business grows and scales, having, you know, scalability by doing things in a consistent manner versus you know allowing the customer feedback and you know you do a few special favors here and there for different people which we did an episode on about why that's a terrible idea and you know there's a balance there the other thing is i'm curious and I, well i've noticed this in my experience is sometimes there's one customer who complains about something and you have hundreds of customers that are completely fine with it and that one bit of data because it's negative or because it's like in front of your face may influence a decision now, we made a decision a long time I'm ago to so stop accepting. So guilty of that. Yeah, totally, right? And when that's 100% of the data that you have, that's 100% of your data in front of you. But you can easily disregard the rest of the data for everything else that's going great. And we had one customer who reached out to us and said that I think the, the ABN wasn't properly formatted on our invoices. Like it was on the wrong side of the invoice or something, you know, something silly like that. And uh, they were going to sue us and take us to court or, or, or dob us into someone or whatever. And, you know, our team were like, well, we must change this. We have to change this. And, you know, my response was, well, <laughs> there's a lot of other customers who are completely fine with how these things are. And, you know, maybe we can change one thing just for this customer by reissuing an invoice 
or maybe they just don't need to be a customer. That's also an option. We had another customer who said, I won't change your terms unless you change XYZ clause. And in that case, it was just a matter of sending them an email and saying, hey, I'm going to give you this special clause because you're a special little snowflake, but I'm not going to change my terms, which is what our team was suggesting. Let's call the lawyers and let's review these terms. And you know, sometimes it's just not actually needed. And so you've got to think about not necessarily the lowest common denominator, but you've got to think about what's going to work for like 80 to 90% of people, you know, and use your intuition. If you're the founder of the business or the person responsible for the product development of the service that you're delivering, it's up to you to go with your gut and make the decision on what do I think is best for everyone? Because as things scale, if you're in the practice of thinking 10x, you've got to really, really understand how might this work if we had 10 times the amount of people? Such an important And I had this conversation today around delivering account management and delivering customer relationship management. Uh, We have a challenge with that in that we have so many customers that doing personalized consulting that I'm very personally passionate about, that my GM Scott is very personally passionate about. And both of us in a way have blinders on because we're hammers and all we see is nails. And we want to deliver that to our customers where, you know, scaling a service delivery of, you know, IT integrators, which is what is that skill set who can advise on business and on technology and answer questions. And by the way, we hire primarily in the Philippines as well. Like it's just near impossible. And we've Mm -hmm. had, you know, real challenges with that. Now, we don't have challenges with being able to keep in touch with our clients and reach out to them. But when a customer says, hey, I've got a nine month project here and I want to implement a CRM and, you know, new email system and work on some automations for our, uh, you know, for our email support desk and things like that, then it, you know, just becomes a bit of an impossible task for us to deliver that at scale. We could do a handful of those projects and they're the kind of things that someone like Scott might sit in on because he's had 15 years of technology integration experience, but we can't just fling that at it. Like there's just no way to train a project manager, no matter how good they are as a project manager, there's no way to train them for the depth of knowledge it takes having delivered that over time for 15 years. So the question is then, well, what do we do? Uh, You know, are there different ways of thinking completely out of the box in how we can lead that? And, you know, to me, I really want to democratize technology strategy for businesses. I really want to help small business owners to be empowered to make technology decisions for themselves rather than just relying flatly on an external consultant IT person. So everything we do is really about leading customers to make good decisions. And it's kind of like you see many businesses who just completely abdicate their accounts. Their accountant makes all the decision for them. And you can see in the financial performance of those businesses, they don't do too great. It's the business owners that have a real great commercial mindset and learn the basics of their finances that tend to do better. At least that's been my experience. And so I said to myself, right, well, you know, maybe I then have the opportunity to take customers through more of an educational process on how to do the thinking. And then they just do the directing to our team because we're amazing at delivering. We can, we've delivered thousands of implementations of Google Workspace. We know Workspace better than pretty much anyone in the world when it comes to small business. But you know, what we can't know is every single business and we, you know, we can't build a million different consultants. So it's that interesting I think the conversation for me here is about, okay, well, how do I scale my business? And, you you know, delivering services at scale is always going to be a challenge because you have the human elements and it's a very relationship heavy exercise, but then also deciding, well, what is my business going to look like? I can't be everything to everyone. How Mm. can I be 
really, really valuable. How can I be 100% valuable to like 90% of people? <laughs> and that's the hope. And you're coming down to the same kind of decision that I made back when Automation Agency was a full service agency with consulting of me. I was like, how do I replicate me as a consultant? The reality mm. was I couldn't afford it. It wasn't going to be doable. Same kind of situation. I'm sure it was doable for some, but I just like, I came to the point of no, the client needs to make their own decisions. The client directs it, the client sends us. We're just purely implementation. And that does mean a lot of the time people come to us going, can you do this and this? Look, sorry, no, you really need a consultant. And sometimes it's, you can work with a consultant who can work with us. And sometimes that works really well. But for a lot of people, it's just like, no. And it's interesting, we, or probably more me than we, I've uh, flip-flopped around the idea of trying to educate clients. And because what happened for us is we had a huge range of quite educated clients who were our early clients. And over time, we've been referred to a lot less marketing savvy, tech savvy clients. And so we've got we've got more that do need that education piece. And luckily a lot of our lead flow comes from others who are educators in the space and giving them a lot of strategy and help, which helps us. But there is a, a larger and growing subset of our clients that have no one teaching them. There's, and, and we have found that challenging to implement for people who are still, they're kind of asking, even though we don't do it, they're still looking for support. Like, which tool should I use for this? And how can I do this? And it's interesting. We've looked at going down an educational route and even that, it'll be interesting to see how you do it. We found even that's like, do we have to put our flag and say, this is our way of doing it. This is, this is the automation agency way, but we can still support you if you don't follow our way, but this is the automation agency way and follow our process. So I think it's less about educating the customers in the skills because they're coming to you for your expert strategy and how you actually get things done. And my understanding of your business is that it's, you know, it's a done for you slash done with you service. Yeah. It's the strategy. It's not teaching them how to build a landing page. It's about this is, you know, this is the type of funnel you want and this is where you'd put it. And this is why you want to use this tool rather than this tool. It's those totally. kinds of things. And so my distinction would be it's teaching customers how to use your service and how to get value from your service rather than trying to educate them generally in how to do the things. For me, our biggest challenge with customers is there's thousands of technology tools out there. What should they put their focus on implementing in their business? And what's going you know, to get them to the next step? And so we developed really basic growth roadmap. We've got heaps of YouTube videos and whatnot on it if you go to the IT Genius YouTube channel. And that basically goes through the different stages of business. And at what stage should you be focusing on different technologies? If you're like in you know, the launch or the early startup stage, you want to be getting basic backups sorted a password manager in place so you can securely share and save your passwords. Then as you grow and you hire your first couple of employees, then it's time to think about task management, setting up your Google Drive correctly with your permissions and whatnot so your files don't go disappearing to contractors. You might start spinning up a Google site, which you would then use to document your systems and processes and how-tos and build some you know, like processes in the business so you can do the, uh, the e-myth journey and start delegating. And then when you get to the growth, what we call the growth stage, which is between four and 20 employees, then it's really about, well, how do I make sure that the processes that I've created are actually being followed? And so using some kind of software, it might be a CRM system, it might be a task management system, it might be something else to ensure that your team are doing things in the way that you want them done and that you're getting good data and reporting and, and whatnot. And so, you know, those and further stages of growth in the business kind of like bookends on 
what customers should be focusing on because quite often they'll come to us and they'll say, hey, I'm so confused about all these technology tools that are out there and I just don't know where to start, which mm. is pretty common for small business owners. And so for us, when we educate about that growth roadmap, it's really about how do you know where you're at and how do you know what your energy should be on? If you've got one staff member, you don't need to build a fancy KPI dashboard to see what everyone's you know metrics are on labor utilization and contribution margin in the business, right? That can wait until you need to optimize that later on down the line. And so that's that's been a nice kind of like common language for everyone in our team. Use it internally and they'll, you know, jump on a customer meeting and bring that up. That works really well. And we've found that's really built the engagement as well. Cause we have the problem of customers saying, I don't know what you can do for me. The number one reason why customers cancel our service is still. I'm not using it enough. And we're like, oh my God, we do 15 things, all these things that we can provide value, but there's just, you know, been this disconnect between what we can do for customers and what they're actually using us for. And what they're uh, And so, you know, like it's your responsibility, you know, for the business owner, it's your responsibility. You don't get to say, oh, well, they just weren't a good customer of mine. You know, it's, re it's really down to you to engineer and using some of the strategies of that book, Hooked, which I've not read, may be of use as long as your intention is in the right place you know i want my customers to have more engagement and therefore get more value and that's not just me being bypassy you know if you genuinely have the intention of them having more value then you know go to town be as convenient and as valuable as possible and i think the goal that you talked about carl of having the service as valuable as possible i spent two years and my single strategic aim in the business was to make our product irresistible and so we built a great product that people buy all the time. That's awesome. Now we want them to stay. So now our aim is how do we make the product indispensable? So yeah. it's just so damn valuable that customers will want to stick around indefinitely. I love that. And I, I love the roadmap idea that you've talked about. I think that's super helpful. I mean, that's, it's like the idea of, a, of like a ladder, right? If you build a ladder as like a visual model, people instantly want to climb it. And I want to go, where am I on that ladder? And what's yeah. the next rung? And so a roadmap is similar. It's like, where am I on the roadmap? And what's my next step? Where do I go to mm -hmm. next? So I, I think that's And amazing. I'm unsure of what, to, I'm unsure of what tools you have internally in your business, but I, you know, I've seen like an advertising agency, hundred point checklist on, you know, all the things you need for your marketing and rah, 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 which I, you'd be kind of like a more holistic approach of good design, good, you know, good user experience and good automations and different marketing assets in, in the right places. But I really like what KPI did with their accelerator program where they had a quiz and people would mm. go through the quiz. And it's that same concept of, you know, they, it would create a sense of like competition or a sense of wanting completeness. And we spoke in our last episode around every time you have a goal, you must have some discomfort with what your present reality is. It creates that discomfort. It creates that sense of like, well, things are incomplete right now. And then there's a desire and a yearning to complete them, to get them into balance, which is all just a mind trick. But if it leads customers to getting more value, then trick away. Oh yeah. I mean, from a lead generation point of view, quizzes, scorecards can be super mm. valuable because it's exactly that. It's like, well, I have a question in mind and what's the question that your clients might have in mind. And then how can you lead them through a series of questions and then give them a result of, it could be a recommendation. You know, one of the things we're working on at automation agency, which will be a new lead magnet for us. We're calling it the platform picker. One of the most common questions mm. that people have, especially coaches, coaches, are our biggest market. So valuable. Is, is like, what tool should I use? And so 
you know, we've had various things because over the people years. People spend all day, uneducated people spend all day browsing forums, asking their friends on Facebook, what's the best CRM I should use? And everybody responds with the one that Different. they're using, which is sure. not actually an objective opinion. And yeah. IT consultants will respond with the one that they get the most commission from. And so that's just so, so, so valuable to have something that's less biased. I won't say you're completely unbiased, but right, less there's still, biased. There's still some bias in it. Like we're gonna, of, course of course, we're gonna most. If we're gonna recommend tools, we're gonna recommend tools that we work with. Not every. I, I did a, a stat look up recently. The Martech space, the marketing technology space, six mm. years ago when automation agency started, had three thousand tools. Last mm. year, twenty twenty, there were eighty thousand tools. We can't be experts in all of them. There are no, 80,000 MarTech tools now. And who knows what it'll be in 2021. There's probably already like 800,000. But so, yes, there will be a bias to it. Obviously, we're going to recommend tools that we can support people with. But the, the goal there is just to help people answer some questions. And then we'll go, well, based on what you've answered, here's what we recommend you get. Now, they don't have to do it, but we're giving them some direction. And we, our hope, we haven't launched it yet. Our hope is that it's going to be a good lead magnet of drawing it, the attention of the people we're looking to, to work with. Because people are either using a tool looking to switch or they're starting fresh and they're like, what should I use? We prefer yep. those already on a tool looking to switch, but we can also serve many people who are just starting fresh. So that's one of the new lead magnets. And you're talking about that 100 point checklist. You, it stimulated the idea of, you know, we could also test with that platform picker. We've never really tested a checklist like that. This is the, this is the things you need to check if you're, if you're doing online funnels. If you're a coach marketing online, these are the things you need to make sure you have. We wrote a book, haven't launched it yet, for a number of reasons, won't get into that. Another lead magnet, which was, you know, um, basically we call it the book of funnels. It's a coach's book of funnels. This is all the funnels that a coach could potentially need in their business. It's just every different funnel. The reason we haven't launched it yet is we realized once I created the lead magnet, I went, if we put this out there, we're going to have people going, this is amazing. I want XYZ funnel, please. I want that funnel. I want that funnel. I want that funnel. And currently our service is not set up for them to just go, I want that funnel and we build it. So the reason it's on pause, we've got this amazing asset out, out there, but I'm like, if I put leads through it, they're not going to sign up or they'll sign up and be frustrated because we don't have an easy way for them to order that funnel yet. So we've been building that functionality so they can go, I want that funnel. And then it that sends in all like the tasks. A great problem to have. I'm excited <laughs> for that launch. But yeah, so these are the things that absolutely what you've mentioned, quizzes are great great ways of seeing where people are at. And the thing is, we're talking about these as lead generators, but a roadmap like you've talked about, coming back to what we were talking about, increasing engagement and getting clients to stay, is you're also giving them future. Because the reason a client cancels on a subscription in particular, whether you're a coaching business, whether you're a service like Pete and I are, is because they run out of future. They no longer see future with you. They're not going, I've got nothing to do tomorrow. They just no longer see you and them in the future together. Whereas if you lay out a roadmap and say, you're here and our job is to help you while you're here and eventually get you to the next level. And when you get to that level, ta-da, we're here. And now there always has to be an endpoint For automation agency, we have found and we're, you know, we've tried different things where we go, clients get to a point where they really start to get bigger. They've got more money. They're, you know, they're doing a lot more revenue. They've got team members. They're looking for the speed of tapping someone on the shoulder and saying, Hey, can you do this design for me? And it's done the same day. They're looking for someone to go, Hey, can you fix this thing? And it's done right away. We don't really have the capability at the prices we charge to offer that. And we've trialed a few different things, but ultimately it's going, well, maybe that's just the end of the line where automation agency is. 
and we could have a different sister service. You know, I've looked at having recruiting options. I tested a recruiting option where it's like, great, you've finished with automation, Angie. Go and work with hire a virtual team and we'll hire you your recruited. That became a lot more challenging than I originally anticipated. So that's on the back burner. But mm-hmm. it's about understanding the journey, helping the client see that journey, but be aware that there may be a point that you just go, well, you know what? Yes, there's a bigger journey, but I'm only going to do this bit. And if they're already at this point, well, that's when they've graduated. They don't need our service anymore. They're ready for an internal person. They're ready to go and work with someone else. And Mm -hmm. and maybe it's a business opportunity down the line. That's been my experience with that. And I think Mm -hmm. we've talked a lot about this, Pete. So is there any last things you'd like to add before we wrap this episode up? No, I just want to say that, you know, these are such awesome strategies here. And when we started this podcast to you, the listener, we promised that we would just share our journey, exactly where we're up to what things we're implementing, what's working, what's not working, what we're challenged by, what's been successful for us. And I think this has been a great update on, you know, us building our subscription service businesses and sharing just, you know, some things that are real for us and what we're working on right now. And, you know, looping it all the way back to Leon chasing us for the recordings on our podcast, you know, it comes down to communication and expectation and, and working together and, you know, where there is shared value there, everyone will benefit. The value. Uh, and so, Carl, I'm glad to be doing this with you, mate. And I look forward to sharing more in upcoming episodes. Absolutely. Well, if you've enjoyed this episode, please go to your favorite podcast platform, hit the five stars if you thought it was five stars worthy or four stars or whatever star you felt it is at. But five stars is what we'd really love. Leave a comment. Don't just give it the five stars though. Leave a comment. Tell us about what you liked about this episode or who's, which has been your favorite episode or what would you like to hear more of? We'd love to find out about that. You can also find this show and every other episode, show notes, transcripts, various things at our rising.show. So it's not a .com, it's rising.show is our web address. You can find all the episodes. You can share it with your friend. You can check it out. We would love to have you contact us and let us know your favorite episode or a style or something you'd like us to cover. If you've got a question, we might answer it on a future episode. Also, be sure to check us out on our social medias. We've got an Instagram. I think we've got a Facebook page and we, we share little tidbits from the show there too. So, so nice that you've joined us in this episode. I hope you found some great ideas and we will talk to you in the next episode. See you later.